Welcome to Fires in the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan, and to my left is Roy. What a weekend. Whoa, dude. Whoa. <laughs> Insane. Insane weekend. But first, before we get to that, I um, they, the rosters were uh, released yesterday, and on the Tin Caps roster, uh, there was a little blurb on some news. So I want to read this news. Uh, the Padres have added Matt Williams to the Tin Caps, Tin Caps staff in place of Burt Hooten who will miss the 2019 season as he recovers from off-season knee surgery. Going back to 2013, Hooten spent the last six seasons guiding Fort Wayne's pitchers. Williams, 36, was the pitching coach at UNCW the last five years, helping to guide the Seahawks to three NCAA tournament appearances. For more information on the Tin Caps coaching staff, get a hold of them. But I thought that was, um, I saw that one. Oh, do Bert. Yeah, he's been a he's been a mainstay. He's yeah. been an anchor of that staff over there. So, uh, you know, hope, hoping that his surgery went well and all of that, and looking yeah. forward to his return in twenty twenty. I guess. Yeah. So let's God, let's get to it. Yeah. <laughs> so opening day was on Wednesday or on Thursday, and uh, everybody was there. I feel like everybody in the whole world was there. Yeah. Um, the eyes of the world were watching the Padres. Yeah, and it was a whole different atmosphere. It was, I, as you've probably heard if you listen to the other Padres podcasts, but I mean, it was electric. It was huge. And I lost money, and I was glad to give that money. I bet someone 20 bucks that Tatis wasn't going to make the opening day roster. Everyone knows, everyone says it, but we never, you know, we didn't know that Machado and um, Hosmer took took Ron Fowler to dinner and talked him into having tattoos and he earned it. So uh, apparently, so there was a Dennis Lynn article that came out that where Ron Fowler refutes that he says there was no dinner. It was a baseball operations decision. So I'm not sure who to believe at this point, but it doesn't matter because right. he's on the roster and that's great. It becomes I, legend really. <laughs> so we, I, I keep meaning to, to have a discussion on here about service time and get into the rules and all of that. But really we kind of kept ourselves too busy all off season to have that kind of glossary definition of terms talk, but putting him on the roster on opening day means that there's a chance that they may have lost one year of service time for him at the far end of his arbitration time. Yeah. Uh, but then at the same time, it seems like everybody's signing extensions and Eloy Jimenez signed an extension today. Ronald Acuna Cooney signed Jr., an extension. Yeah. And so it, it only seems logical that the Padres would approach Tatis and try to do that at some point, whether that's now or a couple yeah. of years from now. And then the other coin of that side of that coin, um, Ron Fowler was instrumental in the negotiations of the collective bargaining agreement. And so maybe he has an idea on what changes the major league baseball is going to make when that collective bargaining agreement comes up. And I think that's after the third year of Tatis's projected major league service. When everyone talks about, Oh, there's going to be a strike. Yeah. Strike. Yep. There's going to be major changes to the whole labor structure. What that means. I don't know. Um, but I can't imagine that they would have made a move like this without having some idea that they were going to, something was going to change. Right. Right. Um, but either way, it's awesome. He looks like he belongs out there on defense, running the bases, swinging a bat. He looks comfortable. He's, he's got the cockiness in a good way. Yeah. The confidence. Yeah. Yeah. I, to, to talk about the point about keeping him up on the roster, you know, having him start with the club and it goes a long way regardless of all the extensions, regardless of all that stuff, if we don't touch him in five more years, the first thing that we're going to be able to, and the Padres are going to be able to say is like, yeah, hey, you know, we have faith in you to put you, to not have to keep you down in the minors. When you hit, I think he hit 264 with a couple of bombs, a couple of stolen bases for spring training. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and so he earned his spot, regardless of what the dinner was, regardless of it was a baseball decision because he worked his ass off and, and he he earned a spot. Yeah. But it would go a long way with negotiations in good faith. Like, yeah, you know, we brought you up. We're not going to, we're not going to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You. Um, well, yeah. And it sounds like Chris, Chris Bryant. Bryant yeah. yeah. Chris Bryant still has some, some raw nerves from, yeah. from being held back for a couple of weeks. Like, oh, because this is, you're talking millions and millions of dollars for these guys. Right. And so pushing that off a year, that one more year until he can get paid. So that's fantastic. But let's talk. I mean, not only Tatis wasn't the other guy who made the roster. I mean, Chris Paddock. All these, all the, and you guys, just real quick, everyone's got this already. You know, we're like the last ones to have our podcast, the, the, me and Roy. But, uh, you know, the biggest surprise there wasn't Tatis, wasn't Paddock. It was Nick Margavichus. Yes. And friend of the podcast, Nick Margavichus. And, you know, for the untrained eye, they would have thrown someone out there, uh, maybe a bullpen day, but he did well. He did great. And he did fantastic for spring. Yeah. He didn't look out of place. He didn't look, you know, he didn't have the, the saucer-sized eyes. He looked comfortable, calm, collected, yeah. like it's just another normal day. Yeah. A couple of flips with the, uh, you know, with, with uh, the hit Duggar in the nose, which was which is rough. He don't want to see anyone get hit. Yeah, but he's pitching up and in. And that's yeah. one of the things that he was consistently doing throughout yeah. the game. He was trying to command the inside of the zone. Against left, you know, lefty, lefty, it's easy to hit a guy. It's just yeah. it stinks that he's up around the face. I'm sure he didn't mean that pitch to be there, right? And he hit uh, Brandon Belt. But then what did he do right after the pitch that hit Duggar? The and next pitch a was a strike. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like it rattled him. No, fearless. Um, and I was gonna say, well, and I mean they hit giant guys, so it's like not that big of a deal. <laughs> um, and I, I, I mean, no, we're, harm, we're not biased no, at all. No one wanted to get hurt, but it, from the fan, he was like, yeah. Yeah, Brandon Belt. Yeah, give it into his hip. <laughs> um, but yeah, five, what, five, five and a third, five and two. No, they pulled him out after the, I was looking forward to the moment when they pull him off the field and he gets the ovation, but they replaced him, both him and Paddock with pinch runners. So that, that little moment didn't quite happen. I was hoping to capture that because yeah. I, that always gives me the goosebumps when you see the pitcher walking up and then everybody behind the dugouts giving him a standing ovation. And both of those guys absolutely earned it. I had just talked to uh, Egos in Despair when they took him out. Mm. And I started walking. I just, hey, how you doing? Boom. I just walked down the stairs and it was like clapping, like, yeah, yeah. I was cheering Nick. Because um, they did, they took him out. Did they? During the game. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah, they did. And he was able to walk, and he walked nice and slow. Soak it in uh, every step of the way. Soak that in. Man, where were we? You know, we were so busy opening weekend yeah. because we were running around. It is, Angela is such a social person, and so we went and did the fourth inning meetup, and we're talking to people and this and that. And then our seats at the bullpen are like the opposite end of the stadium from that. So yeah. when we leave that fourth inning meetup, we've got to walk all the way around with all the throngs of people that were yeah. there to get back to our seats and continue watching the game. And at the same time, we kind of have our little side hustle with the, uh, the paddocks posse buttons. Well, sure. A big hit. They made the TV. Yeah. Yeah. I, Bob Scanlon put one on. That was and, really cool. And Annie Heilbrunn tweeted out a picture. Now, we're not doing it to make money. We were doing it to, because we just thought it was cool that, you know, get a movement going, get people talking. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so we were sitting over there by Nick Margavich's family. We didn't, you know, the tickets we bought were just like, okay, we're going to sit in this section. And then someone told me, well, that you told me, 
Well, in this section over here, right between there and there, is where they have the family. So I kept looking over, and I had to dig up a picture of Nick's dad because I don't have don't know what it looks like right offhand. Uh -huh. So I dug up that picture of him uh, and Nick in front of their house, and I'm like, holy cow, that's him right over there. So I'm like, Liddy, give me a second. I need to go do my thing, which is you know <laughs> talk to complete strangers and make them act like you know act like I've known them my whole life. Um, that's just a weird thing about me. Walked up to him, hi, Donovan Jones, Friars on the Farm, and the mom was like. I'm like, oh my God. She's like, oh my God. And the dad's like, oh my God. I'm like, I know. Like, holy cow. And then they're like, oh, this is, I I can't remember. Sarah's is the wife's name, but the husband of his host family in Tri-Cities was there. Mm. And like, oh, I'd love to get to talk to you guys. Um, how are you guys doing? Oh, we want to be a host it, family. It wasn't a big, bald dude with a with a beard, was no, it? No, he was a short, he was a short, they were both short people. Okay. Um, Nick's family was, a, I don't know, regular size. Regular size, <laughs> regular size, um, but I sat there and spent about five or six minutes with those guys and just like, oh, it's just so great and like you guys do great work. Like you raised a fantastic son. I mean, we didn't think he was gonna do this, but when he talked to us, he was an incredible interview, nice guy. But we were just all so happy to be there. Yeah, and um, and then I just bolted. Then I then I then I took off and just let them enjoy their thing and. I thought that was really cool. So we had a couple of exchanges like that with the Paddock family um, because Michael reached out to Angela. Michael Paddock reached out to Angela about the buttons. So during during Nick's game, we met up with them. They were at that game. And maybe that's what we were doing when Nick got pulled out. We were okay. up talking to, talking to Michael Paddock and Jason I can't remember, Garcia, I think his last name is. His different last name. Um, different dads. Uh, but brothers. They're, they're Chris's brothers, older okay. brothers. And so we were there talking to them and we talked to them for probably, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, just talking about where, the, what they've been doing while they're in town and who all's here and, and, and all of that. And then on game day, we went around because we've been corresponding with his aunt too. And we found the whole family down there because they were a, one or two sections down from that area. I described okay, to you I think it's 113 or something. Yeah. Like I think that. they were like in 115 maybe, um, uh, but yeah, they, they were all hanging out there. So we went down and met his mom and his grandma and, and a bunch of people. And the whole was, paddock posse, the really. The whole paddock posse was down there. <laughs> and so it was like this party going on. And it was it was really cool watching everybody because they, they dream about this moment and yeah. they work hard. And Nick, I don't know if Nick believed that he would. I mean, I'm sure he believes in himself. But then you read the story that like the Den Dennis Lynn story about sending out the videos to all these different colleges, just trying to find a Juco. One. Yeah, one college responded one college after responded. reaching out to 150 different schools. And who would have thought that a few years later he'd be pitching at a Major League Baseball game? Yeah. Good yeah. for him. Absolutely. And the thing about Nick is I, I talked about that. Well, I asked that question in a Kyle Glazer Baseball America chat. I'm like, you know, what do you, what's the word on Nick Margavichus? And, you know, he responded with what he's been hearing. And it's like, you know, he's just an organizational guy. Yeah. But what he has done is in every level he has hit he has performed mm -hmm. okay he did really well in tri-cities okay well let's try cities everyone does well in tri-cities oh he's going to a ball well he's got a curveball no one can hit a curveball in tri-cities goes to the cow league strikeouts went down still did well yeah and did well enough to garner that you know that one win or die playoff game in in tri uh, corpus christi i'm sorry i'm just gazing into roy's eyes as i speak and i just lost my train of <laughs> um Seven innings, eight strikeouts. He gave up a home solo shot against the, and I said this before in another podcast, the, the, the top-rated offense in the Texas League 
is the Houston Astros Corpus Christi hooks last year. And yeah, they, they destroyed the league. Yeah. So you're thinking, okay, fine, he'll make it to double A this year. Pitched really well, you know, made a good showing, you know, put a bug in everyone's ear in spring training. He's doing well. But even Ma- then, I didn't think there was a chance he'd make the opening day roster. No. Yeah, maybe some point down the season, maybe he'd make a Kyle Lloyd call up in the middle of the season, you know, after a good first half in double A. Yeah, but, but no, if- they liked what they saw and they they didn't have any better options available. And so they called him up and he performed. Yeah. And he's gonna get another start. I'm sure he will. Yeah. Uh and we'll see where it goes. You know, I think I think with him it's gonna go from a from a start to start. Maybe give him a one or two bad starts or if there's a trade or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um they could send him down and still have plenty of time for him to to come back up. Well, and the other part of that is you've got Logan Allen and Cal Quantrill down in triple A. Yeah. So if they come out hot out of the gates looking like they normally do rather than their last couple of appearances in spring, maybe they would be, you know, giving reason to be added to the roster. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, but regardless, it's really fun, really cool to see a couple of good guys get their first opportunity. Yeah, and guys that we covered here. And uh, they so crushed let's get to the game. So let's get to that first game against Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. Um, some of the numbers that uh, you guys may have seen, you know, Fernando Tatis got his first hit off Mad Bum. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so then he bunts the single, which was a bad bunt. Apparently it was a bad bunt because it was right to the third baseman, but I don't know who was playing third base. The wheels he had was like elite speed to first. It was a good it was a good enough bunt to get the hit. Yeah. And so how good did it have to be? It wasn't textbook, but it was good enough. With elite speed, you can get that. Like, Fran Mill's not yeah. making that to first. Yeah, you get away with it. <laughs> What's impressed me the most about watching Fernando is the, the defense. I mean, he's made a couple of nice diving catches. He's made a couple of nice ranging plays back into his right. But there have been a couple of throws from Austin Hedges that have come down. And, yeah, the, the, the ball beats the runner. But he's been able to get around in front of the runner and catch the ball and apply the tag. Yeah. And I I feel like a lot of those throws, they would have gone skipping into the outfield or they would have hit the runner. And he's got that amazing feel. And it reminds me a little bit of Javi Baez, the ability to catch and tag and just yeah. lightning quick. And he's got the feel for it. Yeah, that's the baseball IQ. It is. Being in the position where he needs to be. Because uh, you're right. I mean, Freddie Galvis is as good a shortstop as he was. I think he's there at the bag and... He slides in, then tags him, you know, yeah. or if it's a Yanga Versalarte, or if it's a Jet Jerko. Um, and it's not fundamental. It's athleticism. Right. And it's athleticism, IQ. Uh, so he made the team at 20 years old, 85 days. Uh, he's the youngest player since Adrian Beltre to uh, to start on the opening day. So a player like um, Bryce Harper was in the minor leagues for a couple of weeks, and he was pretty young when he came up. Uh-huh. Um, Tati Sr. also had a single in his first major league at bat July 26, 1997. Um, his two hits that he had on the first game was the first since Robin Yount in 1975. That, that's a pretty good player right there. Yeah. Um, he is the youngest player to have hit in each of his first two career games since Price Harper in 2012. Okay. And that's still a pretty dang good name to throw out there as well. Oh, yeah. And he just got his first home run yesterday. Oh, and I was there and I saw it and... I got it on video. I tweeted it, and it was a glorious thing. Uh, you know, and here's the thing about yesterday's game. It was like, as as much as we, like, I really thought Strom was going to do a lot better. But what I noticed about what Strom was, he was hitting 90. He sits 93, occasionally 94. Yeah, what happened to his velocity? He, I don't know. But maybe he was holding some back to as a starter to maybe go a little bit longer, I'm thinking. That's 
but he got hit hard. I mean, Adam Jones just crushed that first opening, you know, that lit off home run. Uh, and every ball that was hit was over 100 miles an hour exit velocity. It was just smacked. Um, so that was really a bummer. And then... Are, every, they, are they putting the exit velocity up on the big board now? No, I thought I saw a tweet on it. Oh, okay. I, I thought I saw a tweet on it. Um, you know, the barrel. I think there's a barrel uh, Twitter handle that you can follow. Oh, okay. Um, where it was hit really hard. And every ball, you know, even the ones that weren't hit hard were just over shortstop. Were just in between first base and right field. You know, the ball that uh, Kinsler bobbled. Like, you're like, okay, that it was almost a turning point. Because like, ah, damn it. You know, it just never, nothing seemed to go our way. Um, so it really doused the flames of this weekend for me. But we sat in our new seats was, if you guys saw on Twitter, where we sit now for every Monday game is about four rows back of um, of the dugout. And uh, I saw the home run, first home run. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, but Chris Paddock's start, dude, his start on Saturday, five innings, or Sunday, sorry, five innings pitch, two hits, one earned run, one base on ball. And it's funny because with the base on ball, I'm like, oh, that's, that's rare. Yeah. Like, I almost wanted to tweet Eric LeBou, a miserable SD fan, or no longer a miserable SD fan, going, hey, you're no longer a unicorn. You saw Chris Paddock, you know, throw a uh, walk a guy. Yeah, but you know that ticked him off. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Even even the, uh, you know, we were in the back of the meetup for uh, for that Paulo Sandoval at bat. Yeah. And he hit, he fell off like 10 pitches, I think. Yeah. And the ball that he hit was low and away. It was a pitcher's pitch. It was a great pitch. He was, So that pitch, that, that at-bat, it was all fastball changeup until he finally got to that point, and Hedges called for a curveball. And he executed it. It was down and away. It was almost in the dirt. And Pablo Sandoval just has such incredible coverage. He can get the barrel on anything. He's like Vladimir Guerrero almost. He's a junk ball pitcher. Yeah. So he lined it into the outfield for a double, and that was really the only... And to me, that was kind of the welcome to the big leagues moment right. for Chris Paddock because he was cruising. He was locating. Yeah. And then you finally get the guy that you can't just blow it past him. He'll he'll just foul, 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 foul till you give him something to hit. Yeah, say what you want about, you know, Chubby Panda, but he's still a major league hitter. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's a, you know, at, at once was an elite bat. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, and it's funny, just kind of going along with, I was thinking about this on the way over here, like, He's going to, you know, oh, my God, he gave up an earned run. He's a dud. You know, <laughs> you know there's going to be a game where he's going to give up a couple runs. There's going to be a game where someone connects. Yeah. And there's going to be struggles. I don't think, you know, and they say pitchers are a lot easier to. I thought it would be easier that pitchers would translate better in the major leagues. But according to the driveline guys, it's more the hitters are, are easier to change a hitter than it is a pitcher. Because okay. you only have so much velocity. If your curveball yeah. can only be so crisp or whatever. Um, there's going to be those times with Chris where that happens, where like he might get a loss. And I'm not sure if I'm emotionally ready for that. <laughs> I, don't, I, I need to talk about it now just so I can, like, there's going to be the possibility. Like, Tati striking out, big deal. Batter strike out. But, like, we have put this kid on such a high pedestal that anything that he's, you know, any any part of the game that's, actually happens with giving up runs giving up home runs a loss um for me it's just like so disheartening well he's so his profile with fastball change up but it's the fastball command that and he can make he can manipulate his fastball to run a little yeah. bit either way and he can spot the corners so he, that is the you can't it's a hard thing to measure 
Yeah, you can measure velocity. So yeah, a guy's got a 98 mile an hour fastball, whatever Edinson Volquez, you can show what crazy break he's got. But then if you can't locate it, then what do you do with it? So Paddock has, I don't remember ever seeing a, a line, a game line where he got blown up at any point. Right. So there probably will be a game where he winds up struggling and comes out early, but I don't think it's going to be like what we saw out of, out of Matt Strom yesterday. No. So I I I like Matt Strom. I, I think Matt Strom is much 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 better than he was yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think that like the the error bars, if you will, on him are much bigger. The difference between him at his best and him at his worst. Chris just seems to be more consistent than that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know why I thought about that. Just it was like God, you know, I kind of like it's the old Padre fan in me. It's like I want to poo poo everything just so I don't get my hopes up. Yeah, we're kind of waiting for everything to blow up, right? And uh, so let's. Uh, so no, you were talking about the hard hit contact that Strom was giving up, though, and that was another thing I noticed out of both Margavichus and Paddock's starts was that neither of those guys got hit hard. Right. There were maybe one or two hard hit balls from each of them. Right. So it wasn't like they were getting lucky. They were just like the 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 starter for the Diamondbacks yesterday. It sounds like he was giving up hard contact all over the place. It's just it kept falling into people's gloves, hitting them right yeah. at people. Right. Uh, Manny hit a ball really hard. I think Framil crushed a pitch. You're like, wow, that was hit hard, right? To a guy. Yeah, he's hit like five or six balls over 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Well, and I'm and that stuff. Keep hitting the ball hard because they will drop. Oh yeah, they're gonna find gaps. They're gonna go over the fence. It's a long season, you know. And, and just to kind of riff more on the on the major league team, you know, with the struggles of Manny that he's had in the first series and a third. Um, you know, I saw James Clark tweet out yesterday, like Manny's here, like. It was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon when James Tweed is like, man, he's out here hitting balls uh, with Haas, with Eric Hosmer. You know, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, taking early batting practice. So he's not just a superstar that's going to just wait to come back and find his bat. He's going to work at getting better. He, he looks like he's pressing to me. He's up there swinging fast and hard. I think yeah. he just wants to get that first homer out, out of the way. And then maybe he'll dial it back and become the 300 hitter again i i don't know but give it time yeah i see people overreacting on twitter like oh no we got roughed up by some no-name pitcher we're done like come on he was throwing 95 and had a really good changeup and a really good curveball um kelly was the last name i can't remember his first name but it it's the first series and particularly it's the first series of against a really bad team yes um, <laughs> yeah, the the and but the Giants you know, are not going to be good this I'm year. I'm like 2019 World Series champions. But let's move on. This is a minor league podcast. We got minor league stuff to talk about. Just recently, um, they had the prospects game, with the inaugural game with the, uh, the the Red Devils of Mexico City inaugural game in their new stadium. It was back to back games. Yeah, back to back. So the first game was started with Ryan Weathers. Um, he did, he looked really good. Everybody looked really good. Everybody looked really good against a, uh, you know, the Mexican league. Those guys are like triple A level. I'm not sure if they were all, you know, their top of the line starters for that team, but that's a really triple A to double A team. Oh yeah. You had some former major leaguers in there. I saw Jorge Cantu was playing first base at one point. The starting pitcher in that first game actually made a major league appearance for the Padres back in like 2014. Really? Yeah. Damn. But, and these are our kids are all 18, 19, <laughs> 20. I think, I think Potts or even Michael Geddes was like the oldest guy in, on the team. Yeah. Uh, so Weathers went three innings pitch, five hits, an earned run based on balls, and 2K. Um, Gore, I mean, Gore just 
both these guys look really good, but you know the hype is with Mackenzie Gore. Oh, and, and it was showing it too. He was just whap, it just buzzing the ball at, at mid nineties fastball. People were putting together GIF collections of all of his pitches, and it's just it's just filthy. Yeah, like uh, who was it that said it in spring training? Was it uh, uh, Wolf? Wolf? Not Chris Camp. Anyways, um, God, was it? One of the one of the Padres front officers like that's not even fair. During oh his, yeah yeah during his start in uh, in spring training, uh, he was four innings pitch, one hit, five Ks. Uh, Potts, Hudson, I think that was Logan White that said that's that. That's it. I don't know why I say Wolf. Um, Hudson Potts went five for nine, two home runs, uh, had a triple, five RBIs, and four runs. Uh, Michael Geddes, fresh off his uh, Australian League uh, play. Went three for six with an HR, three RBIs, a stolen base, and two runs. Uh, Gabriel Arias, who you guys saw the Lance Brozdowski tweet, um, I was, we were there during that time for for the video that he took. Gabriel Arias looked really good. He looked thicker. He looked, you know, he's growing into his body. He starts to look like a major league player, and he's starting to hit like a major league player, or at least you know what we expected him to be. Well, and Lance is really good at picking up the minor changes in mechanics. Yeah. You know, where somebody might be losing a little bit of energy or a little bit of wasted, you know, wasted time or something like that. So he pointed out a couple little changes in Gabriel's approach that might help him hit better this year. Yeah, because that's that's an elite. If he becomes an elite bat or at least a decent bat, he has an elite glove. Yeah, I I told Angela or I was telling Angela's dad, Sal, that because we saw Angela and I went to the we've joined the Lake Elsinore Storm Booster Club. That's cool. And so last night they had their welcome dinner. So all the players just arrived, and uh, typically that's the dinner where a lot of them meet their host families. And so as they're walking in, I tell Sal, I say, that guy right there with the the yellow dreads, he's an even better fielder than Tatis is, probably right now. Yeah. Um, We'll just talk more about that in a minute. There's lots to unpack there with the (laughs) Booster Club thing. Uh, Because I was at the game last night watching the pods get just crushed, and he's like, oh, dude, we're talking to everyone. (laughs) I'm like, ah, I was all jealous. Um, anyways, Xavier Edwards, friend of the podcast, uh, four for eight, you know, it hit a double baseball, two runs, elite speed, uh, Blake Hunt, another friend of the podcast, uh, two for three, had an HR double four RBIs, two runs, you know, and that's a major league. That's a major league field. That's a huge field. He went back to back with somebody. I can't remember who the other Jack it was. Zawinski. Oh, that's other right. It was Zawinski. The Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to there. Um, so I always tweet out, it's the podcast karma. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Nick Morgavichus got the most podcast karma with a start. So not only are we we friendly, but we will uh, possibly help your baseball careers. Yeah. So future uh, listeners or future players that uh, want to come on the podcast, definitely think about those things. Uh, then, Reggie Lawson looked really well. Three another another friend of the podcast. Five hits, ERs. Uh, hit, oh, sorry, ER. <laughs> uh, earn run, a baseball in 2K. Um those both those games are really fun to watch. It's just, you know, for those of us that don't get a for those of you that don't get to watch them on the MILB TV app, we got to see all those guys come up. And I am super excited about Ryan Weathers. I am well, Reggie Lawson. I think is one of those guys that's just unsung. Everyone else gets all the press, and Reggie Lawson just goes about his business, doing his thing. Mm-hmm. I think he could be. So t- real quick, there was a, a tweet out today. I think Pardew Farm tweeted out, who do you think on the 40-man roster could make, who's not on the 40-man roster, make a debut this year? 
my guy, Reggie Lawson. That's a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you say Owen. I'm like, that's that's pretty good pick. Yeah, I like, I like Owen Miller. He can play anywhere, and the guy just flat out hits. He looked good all spring. Yeah. Well, he looked good all spring. He's looked good since we drafted that guy. Yeah. That's a professional hitter. Um, but that, that game was really fun to watch. And then, then we get into spring training, and uh, let's move on here real quick. We'll talk about the rosters tomorrow. There's a lot to unpack there, lots to talk about. Okay. Uh, but I wanted to go in. So the minor league baseball, MILB, is um, is there's more rules coming out that mm. they're trying out for uh, in the minor league side. More so than the stuff that's going on with the independent league. I, I haven't heard anything about that. I'm not sure if the independent league has started. Um, I know a friend of the podcast, or was going to be a friend of the podcast, uh, Todd Van Steenzel. Uh, I found out he was released by seeing that he signed with an independent team in Minneapolis. Um, but minor league baseball has announced rule and procedure changes that will be implemented with the start of the 2019 minor league baseball season on April 4th. Uh, pitchers to face a minimum of three batters at the triple a and double a levels. The starting pitcher or any substitute pitcher is required to pitch to a minimum of three consecutive batters, including the batter then at bat and or substitute batter until such batters are put out of reach out or reach first base or until the offensive team is put out unless the starting pitcher or substitute pitcher sustains an injury or illness, which in the empire and chief's judgment incapacitates him for future play as a pitcher. So you can't go like pitch to a guy like <coughs> I'm yeah. calling in sick. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could just see that like him call the trainer over and, you know, see a little conversation and he's pointing to his throat. Like he's got a sore throat. Oh like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, they, go into the they start stretching their, oh man, my arm doesn't feel quite right, man. Yeah. Um, the extra innings runner uh, on second base revision. So here's the revision of that. At all levels of minor league baseball, extra innings will be begin with a runner on second base. If the last batter of the previous inning was the pitcher, the player to occupy second base to start the following inning will be the player in the batting order before the pitcher's spot in the lineup. So they're taking away the pitcher, which is kind of nice. Um, by the way of example, if the pitcher bats in the eighth position and the number nine hitter in the batting order is due to lead off the 10th inning, the number seven player in the batting order or pinch runner for such player shall begin the inning on second base. Any runner or batter removed from the game for a substitute shall be ineligible to return to the game as is the case in all circumstances under the official baseball rules. I think I need some situations diagrammed out for me on that one. But I guess what they're trying to prevent is to have that runner on second base be the pitcher. Right. Or to a burner. To prevent injury. Yeah. Well, I think they want to keep the pitcher out of the thing. Just you don't. You what, know. What's your take on the whole thing? The, the put a runner on second base in extra innings. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I don't like it either. I know they want the minor leagues the development league. And they're there to learn and and progress, uh, but you also can learn and progress by going into extra innings and you know getting on base, burning a guy over, mm -hmm. uh, you know get him on, get him in, get him over. Well, and it seems like with this whole you start with a runner on second base, it's it's there's a formulaic strategy that showed up real quick that you walk the first guy, yeah. or if you're the offense, you're trying to lay down a bunt and get the runner over to third base. Um, it's, it's just, it, it takes a lot of the spontaneity out of it because yeah. now there's this situation that's been forced into the game. What I'd like to see them do is, okay, nine innings is a full game, but then pick 12 or 13 
And if it's still tied after that, then it just ends in a tie. And then the the the, the standings shake out the way that they do. Uh, that's so soccer of you to say that. I know, but it's, like you said, it's a developmental league. And developmental. yeah, there is a championship at each level. Uh, but at the same time, when, when these games go 17, 18 innings and you've got position players out there, or you've got tomorrow's starter coming up to right. throw an extra, right. it, it's, it's bad for the health of the players. Yeah. And it's also, it's not great for business because I've been, it, I, it, at, at extra inning games, who stays that late? Right. I've stayed through like 17 or 18 innings in an extra, in a minor league game, but you look around, there's like 20 people in the stands. I know, and and then you you and you all you get to do is say that guy was I was at that game for eighteen innings. But then the team also has to pay the concession people yeah. and all the you know the security yeah. whatever the people that are working there. Yeah, it's a lot of people to put on a minor league yeah. baseball game. So if you know that the game's going to end at thirteen innings, then maybe the last couple as they're getting up to it, maybe they start shuffling the roster around or the lineup. Put in some bats, do some aggressive substitutions, right. because you know you only have so many shots. Right, but it, so. I keep forgetting that we're talking about the minor leagues here for a second because I agree with with the minor leagues. Like, do that kind of stuff, but none of that stuff can translate to the big league game. I agree. Like, there can never be a guy on second base in a major league game, and then that's just that's just it, it's that's just lame. Yeah, I hate to say it. It's just it's, but for the minor league guys, like you're right. You don't want the injuries to happen. You don't want the guy to you know guy on second base burning him by burning for a hit, running at first base, pulls a hammy, done. You know, or the guy that's going over. So, so that's um, that's that rule. And there's also the pitcher's mound visits. And guys, there were a page and a half of what defines a mound visit that I'm not going <laughs> to bore you guys with. I almost put oh, it on man. there, and it was really like seven or eight paragraphs, each bullet pointed of what that means. Um, you know, if a gopher walks by the mound and, and a guy like points at the gopher that's on the mound, that's a mound visit. Just anyways, um, pitcher mound visits. What if that gopher is a sod poodle? Right. It could be right. Well, then <laughs> exactly. Then that's a mound visit. Um, visits by coaches and position players will be limited based on the classification level. Triple A teams will be allowed five visits per team down from six. Double A teams will be allowed seven visits per team down from eight. Single-A teams will be allowed nine visits per team, down from 10. And there will not be a limit on mound visits for short season and rookie-level clubs. That absolutely makes sense. I, I don't think that really impacts the game at all. No. Because when they added that rule last year, I don't remember it ever being a factor. Yeah. Well, the mound visits are, there's so you give them so many, it's supposed to speed up the game. It doesn't speed up the game. There's no, quantify, how do you quantify that? I, I guess where I saw it becoming a problem was in the postseason when you had the catcher going out to visit the pitcher multiple times during an at-bat because they're getting crossed up on their signs. There's a runner on second. second they right. think somebody's stealing signs and all of this, or maybe they're not on the same page, how they want to approach the hitter. Um, so I don't know if you make exceptions. It's it's to the umpire's judgment if they want to make any exceptions for that kind of thing, but it really does slow the game down. It does. It, okay, fine. It, it does, but it doesn't seem like it, it has to me. Uh, but I'm a purist. Uh, but to me, pace of play isn't the problem. It's it's the level of activity in the game, the amount of action that's going on during the game. Yeah. So balls in play are, in my opinion, that's what they need to be trying to to encourage with minor rule adjustments. Because whether the game takes three and a half hours or two and a half hours, 
it's still it, the the people are going to go. It's it's the how how engaging is the activity that's going on on the field. Right. So if it's strikeout, walk, pop fly, that's not as exciting as ground balls and you know line drives and base runners. Yeah, but then all the talk of banning the shift. Well, isn't doesn't the shift make the game go a little quicker because they produces more outs? Yeah. So what's the reasoning there? I guess they want to pump up offense. Yeah, but then that just prolongs the game. Make up your mind, MLB. Anyways, um, you guys, we forgot to mention at the very beginning of the podcast, we have Emily Walden coming on the podcast. Yes, we do. Very in high in demand, Emily Walden. We uh, we saw her <laughs> over uh, the spring training. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk to her then because we're we're all just running from field to field to field and go mm. like, we'll talk to you later. We'll talk to you later. We're going. We're going here. Um, she's going to come on. We're going to have her on here in a minute. Uh, and stay tuned for that. Emily Walden is Detroit Tigers writer evaluator for the Athletic Detroit and is a national prospect writer evaluator for the Athletic MLB. Emily began covering the beat in 2015, beginning with Class A West Michigan Whitecaps and moving on to include affiliates from the Gulf Coast League to AAA Toledo. Emily transitioned to 2080 Baseball in 2016, focusing on entry-level scouting and player evaluation, video content, and player features. She most recently has been covering the Padres system, primarily the full-season A-Ball affiliate Fort Wayne Tin Caps. Emily has been an advocate for change in the conditions and pay for minor league players, and she joins us here on Friars on the Farm. Emily, how are you? I am doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Man, you're kind of a popular girl right now. I, I, I think um, Chris's Chris's uh, Chris's podcast just dropped today with your interview with the Turn of Fair podcast. That is correct. I've I've gotten to do a few different appearances this week for um, some friends who have podcasts of their own, and it's always a fun time to come on and talk baseball with everybody. So I'm really really enjoying being here with you guys. Well, thanks for joining us. So usually this year, this time of year, you this year you're usually going to Lakeland, yeah. This year you went to Lakeland. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I've gone to Lakeland the last couple of years and had a little bit of a change in plans um, with presenting some more national coverage, and so I got a chance to go out to Arizona and spend the week out there this year. Fantastic. Are you picking me up there? Okay, I just got to chat a little bit deeper into the microphone. I got to get kind of very white clothes. So this was your first uh, appearance in the Cactus League. Uh, how'd that go? Oh, it was incredible. I'm a huge fan of Arizona in general. I'm not a big humidity person. So lots of love to Florida. Not a big humidity person. And I think the balance of the temperatures out there and all of the sun that we got was Really incredible. I got to do some hiking, caught up with a lot of friends, too. So it was definitely a good time. Wow, you had a jam-packed week. How long were you out there? Uh, just for a week. I flew in on a Friday and flew home on a Saturday. Well, fortunately for us, our our trip out there happened to coincide with that Friday. Um, and we were able to run into you at the back lots. Well, Donovan was able to run into you at the back lots in yeah. Peoria. And then you happened to sit down like three rows behind him at the big, the big league game, so I was able to come down and shake your hand. Uh, but I, I don't know, that was me being a fanboy. I've I've been an admirer <laughs> of your writing for a while since you started hitting on, Thank you. you know, touching on the tin cap stuff. Yeah. Um, while you're supposed to be talking about Detroit Tigers stuff, um, and then that has grown. My admiration has grown as you've gotten into the whole uh, minor league pay topic. It's a it's a subject that I've been very interested in. So anyway, I hear that Donovan had something for you while uh, 
while he went out there. Well, for those of you guys that listen and follow Emily, you know she's a big fan of Luis Patino. And right before spring training, uh, Luis, I, well, I knew that we were going to meet and see each other. Our, our, our trips coincided. So I got this shirt made with uh, Luis Patino in full stretch um, delivery with a little my ace underneath it with some hearts put on there for uh, for good measure. And I thought it'd be a neat little uh, birthday present for you because your birthday was on that Friday. That is correct. Yes. And it was by far the most unique birthday present I received. <laughs> well, another gift that you received was the video that Luis recorded for you. He is such a grateful guy. He, Luis is probably one of the more special stories. Obviously, there's so many good stories that comes out of the minor league circuit. And I was fortunate enough to connect with Luis um, early on when he was with Fort Wayne last season, um, was told to go check out a bullpen that he threw. I knew the name, wasn't super familiar with him overall, though. Went and watched him throw a bullpen, was able to talk to him that same day. And just, just a special kid. Obviously, he's got just really an extreme, extreme talent set that he's shown everybody already, but has just a really good heart, very, very good kid, very team-focused, good teammate. And him sending me that video was completely unexpected and probably one of the the most thoughtful things I got. And just tying that in with my coverage, I mean, hearing that I'm able to, you know, encourage these guys with the stuff that I'm doing, it means so much. So I really appreciated that. Well, and and you're profile of him kind of brought him onto the the national awareness. I, I don't know if anybody really focused on him the way that you had before that. Everyone's focused on Mackenzie, yeah. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing was, too, and I know you guys have talked about this a lot as well, he has so many similarities to Mackenzie. Um, if you talk to him, he has so much admiration as well. Like, he will talk about Mackenzie every chance he gets. And he says, you know, Mac Mac does this, Mac does that. Mac taught me how to do this. And he's just so appreciative of having a guy who is as encouraging and helpful as Mackenzie has been to him. And obviously they have that leg kick they share, which makes them even more unique, you know, in the Padre system. So really a cool connection with them. And you can tell Luis really appreciates Mackenzie. So Luis speaks pretty good English. Um, we first met him about a year ago uh, when he was here for a prospect game, uh, and I was surprised by by how he was he was embarrassed of it, but he's eager to speak. And I know a lot of these Latin players struggle when they come because they don't know the culture, they don't know, and so all these guys right now they're breaking camp, and so you go to your new assignment and you show up. The hotel, the team pays for like three days worth of hotel, and you've got to figure out where to stay, get utilities hooked up. Okay, figure out where's grocery stores, how am I going to eat and all this. So how is a Latin player, I mean, an American kid has a big enough challenge doing that that's never lived on his own, but now somebody from another country. Absolutely. So for Luis to to buddy up with McKenzie, I, I think that hopefully that was something that helped Mc, uh, Luis kind of naturalize into the, the culture a little bit too. Yeah, I think that was definitely a big part of it. And I know for, for anybody who doesn't know Luis that well, his personality really helps him a lot. He's very outgoing, um, very personable, really, really friendly. And he studied English actually for seven years before he came to the States. So having that practice under his belt, I think, was a really good example of how well and how driven he was to adapt just because he understood that it was going to be a huge hurdle, which all of these Latin players, if it's their first time in the States, 
you've got to impress your organization, and you've also got to adapt to the culture. And a lot of these guys come over at 17, 18 years old. And I don't know about you guys, but when I was that age, that would have been a lot of pressure. So the fact that they've adapted so well, so many of them, and especially with the Padres system where they do so much international scouting, there's a lot of guys who have that same story. Yeah, well, I, I, I frequently say I can't talk about how I was at 17, but certainly was a mess. Um, has, has anyone, just real quick, and we'll kind of get into the meat and potatoes of, of our interview with you, but has any other Detroit player kind of uh, taken to a, to a shine for you like Luis Patino? Um, gosh, that's, that's an excellent question. There, there's quite a few guys I've gotten to know well in the Tiger system, just because um, we've had the opportunity to sort of quote unquote grow up together. Um, a lot of the guys from the 2014, 2015 classes, um, I've really gotten to know well. So guys like, you know, Grayson Griner, um, Michael Gerber, who just went to the uh, Giants recently, um, some other guys who have gotten traded out a little bit, but then other guys like Matt Manning, Alex Fiedo, I've seen Bill Burroughs and Spencer Turnbull pitch, you know, since very, very early on. And so getting a chance to see them really kind of grow into the players they are now, it's a really cool opportunity for me. Matt Manning, actually one of the top three. Is he, top, is he number two in the uh, MLB Pipeline's uh, Tiger system? Yes, I believe he's number two behind Casey Mize, and I had him at number two on my top 30 as well. So I think the consensus is pretty much agreed on that uh, Casey Mize is viewed as the top arm right now, but with as well as Matt Manning finished last year, um, I think he could fight for that number one slot this year, depending on how he finishes. Nice. He's also an Oregon State Beaver, correct? Uh, Matt Manning was sent out of high school. Oh, that's right. Nope, sorry. I'm thinking of somebody yes. else. Uh, <laughs> so let's go back, 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 back to the beginning. Who, uh, Emily, who introduced you into baseball? Who introduced you to baseball? That would be my dad. I am a total unashamed daddy's girl. Um, I have been for a very long time. Much love to my mom, but always, always been a daddy's girl. Um, he coached a few of my brothers through their childhood. Um, I got to go and help him do some stuff with practices, and I would go to all of my brother's high school games. And um, always just sort of felt comfortable and felt at home there. Um, and I would sort of subconsciously analyze players at those games, um, which I didn't realize until later on, but just watching how pitchers worked, watching how hitters worked. And then I sort of got to tap back into that closer to what I'm doing now. And it's it's just something that feels very natural and feels very comfortable for me. And it's it's been really a cool thing to be surrounded by people who have encouraged that skill set and helped me grow in that and helped me learn so much. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're constantly adapting to the business and you're constantly adapting to the development side of things. Um, so it's it's been fun to challenge myself and really stretch myself over the last few years. So who are some of those first people that really took you under their wing? Because uh, I, I even I watch a watch a ton of baseball and I couldn't evaluate a doorknob. Uh, you know, I, I could. You know, I, where did you pick up that eye? Where did you pick up that that knowledge? Where did you? Where did that come from? You know, I, I I'm not really sure where it came from. It was just always something that I sort of caught myself doing at games, watching, you know, arm slots, watching deliveries, watching repeatability, watching, you know, hitters wrists and how their, their hips worked and, you know, all of that stuff. And it was sort of something along with a lot of other things that unfortunately 
girls here in the industry, well, that's not what girls do. You know, that's not a role that girls have. And so I think I sort of mentally shied away from it just because I thought, oh, I don't know if I could really ever do that. And so I sort of pushed it off to the side. And then once I tapped back into it, it sort of began to grow into a little bit more. And I started to get more recognition for it and get more feedback on it. And a lot of people who I really cared about their opinions started to tell me, hey, you, you've got something here. Keep pursuing it. Keep asking questions. And that's really what I've been doing ever since. Did you ever go to a scouting school? I never did. I remember reading an article a while ago, and I'm trying to find out who – I'm trying to remember who it was. But there was an article that a woman published um, about her experience going through scouting school and being a man, a woman in a man's field and her struggles with that. Uh, anyway, that's just me going off the rails. Go ahead, Donovan. Well, I, and so – God, you made me lose my train of thought. <laughs> well, okay. So then, so then let's talk about that for a minute. You know, you're, you're a girl – your woman, sorry, in in a, in a man's sport, um, it must have been almost going out on a ledge for some. What I want to say here is, you said the people whose opinion I cared about, I thought was was really instrumental because I'm sure you heard a lot of what are you doing here, like you don't know what you're doing, you know. And there's always that in built in self doubt, but the people who you cared about, who were instrumental in your career, you listen to them. Other than the haters, other than those that, 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 you know, you hear like, you don't belong here. You're, you know, girls don't do this. Girls don't evaluate sports. Guys do this. Um, I loved hearing that come from you. So what got you? So for, from there, what got you into writing? Um, writing was actually always something I did because of the fact that I was really shy. I was very, very shy growing up. And because of the fact that I didn't talk much, Um, writing was always kind of an outlet for me. Um, I never thought I could really do much with it, though, because I didn't have a journalism degree. And so I always just sort of did it off to the side. And I kind of came to a point with my day job, um, this would have been about five years ago, that I just sort of felt like I was running into a wall. And unfortunately, with that, I I was like, well, what else? I don't know what else I'm going to do. You know, if I don't do this, what else is there? And I sort of felt this nudge that, hey, why don't you see what you can do with your writing? And again, I defaulted back to, but I don't have a degree. Who would want to hire me? You know, I don't have that that backup. And I sort of, you know, took a chance on writing something up. And I asked a good friend of mine who is a sports editor if he would give me his thoughts on it. Wasn't asking for a job, wasn't trying to get hired or anything, um, but just asked him to look over a piece I wrote. And long story short, he offered me a weekly slot on the front page of the sports section. And that was not at all what I had planned, but I was, <laughs> holy cow! <laughs> I was extremely, extremely blown away by that. And little by little, it was a process of tapping into my love of networking. Um, I'm a very relational person. And so people always mean a great deal to me. And I love hearing where people come from and hearing their stories. And so it was a lot of me networking, asking a lot of questions, a lot of trial and error, um, a lot of crashing and burning and picking myself up and trying to figure it out again the next day. And here I am now on the verge of starting my fifth year in the business. So it's been a long road, but it's been an incredible opportunity. I'm really, really grateful to be here. You know, and then you get connected with uh, The Athletic. I mean, so where, who were you writing for when you, when The Athletic talked to you? 
Uh, yeah, I was writing with uh, 2080 Baseball, which was a platform that allowed me to really focus on the evaluation side of things. Um, that really hooked me up with a lot of different scouts. Um, and even now, several of my absolute best friends are scouts. And they've really been very, very instrumental in stretching me and challenging me, saying, hey, you're capable of more. You can do this. Keep going. Keep at it. And just being such a source of encouragement for me. And um, it came down to the Athletic launching the Detroit branch. Um, It'll be two years in July of this year, I believe. And shortly after the launch, I was contacted by Craig Custance, who's the um, editor-in-chief of the Detroit branch, and said, hey, you know, I've, I've seen your stuff. Let's talk. And that started my coverage of the farm system for them. Um, obviously, I'd been doing it already with previous sites, but that allowed me to transfer my coverage over to them. And then Emma Spann, the editor for the National Circuit, presented me with an opportunity to expand into some national coverage as well, which led me to the lovely and always entertaining Padres Twitter. Ah. <laughs> Hopefully we've been kind to you in our time, uh, your experiences with Padres Twitter. Um, so... One of the things that you've campaigned for is the the, the living wage of a minor league player. Um, what's what spurned you to do that, and what kind of reactions have you gotten from that? Oh, it's been a very mixed bag of reactions. Um, when I first started, anybody who knows me knows that I am anything but controversial. I'm not somebody who walks around looking for debates and arguments, but this was a topic that. I got to see firsthand, um, hearing players tell me their stories, hearing host families tell me their stories, um, families, all this, the, these different people who are suddenly confiding all this information to me. And I thought, you know, it's been talked about, but I want to say more and I want to do more. And not that I expected a huge wave of change when I started talking about it, but I would say probably over the last maybe two years Um, I had occasionally put out bits of information about it, just saying, hey, this is the reality of it. This is what's going on. And the athletic presented me with a chance to put that piece together. Um, And it was one of the most challenging pieces I've ever done. But it it came together really well. Um, I can't say enough about the players who were willing to come and talk to me, even on an anonymous basis. It was still a huge risk for them to come out and tell what they experienced. And I'm extremely grateful that they were willing to be a part of the project. Well, and there had been some lawsuits uh, against Major League Baseball. And, of course, there's a legislation in Arizona and in the uh, the Save the Baseball Act, which is a just a horrible way of – that's the horrible bill that they put out that saves baseball. Um, what was it going on with that? That – it's like indentured servitude that yeah. these guys are signed and they're owned for six years. And when they sign up, they probably, I mean, yeah, the, it's the contracts all laid out there, but these kids don't know what they're signing for and they're trying to chase a dream. So it's almost like this large business is taking advantage of somebody in a compromised situation. Well, and what I wanted to say was in your story, you hear about the legislation, you hear about all that stuff, you brought a human element to it. You brought in the players' voices. You brought in the families that that care for these guys. You brought the story. And that, I think, goes a long way than just hearing about a lawsuit or legislation. Um, you made it real. 
by having the story come out. Like when I first heard the, when I first read that article, and I think it came out the weekend you're out in spring training, I almost wanted to stop doing the podcast. I'm like, oh my god, I'm actually helping enable this to continue. Well, and the funny thing was, my editor um, ran that piece on my birthday. And she said, dear Lord, I hope I didn't set the trolls off on you on your birthday of all days. But we we had no idea what the response was going to be. Um, and going through, I've since lost track of the comments. I think it's up to like almost 500 comments last I checked. And it's really just the conversation people are having of as a society and, you know, as an ownership group, can we all look past the label of baseball player and say, these are employees. These are employees who have an actual job, whether it's labeled as such, they work for a boss. And are we okay as a society and as a country paying these players at or below the nationally recognized poverty level? And that, I think, is an extremely big eye-opener, which for people who say, oh, boo-hoo, they play a game, why would I feel sorry for them? If you take that away from it, if you take away the game, are you okay with these employees making this ridiculous wage and I think that really kind of changes the perspective of the the situation and I was just absolutely thrilled when the Blue Jays confirmed um, to Ken Rosenthal and I that they were upping the compensation and obviously people say well it's still not enough it's a step it's it's a very important step and a very vital step and does baseball have a lot of work yet to do yes they absolutely do but it's one step in the right direction so what opened my eyes to the topic was an article that came out about a year ago from Eno Saris, where he talked to former minor leaguer Eric Sim, and Eric opened up his books, and he had his contract and kind of his like his checkbook, and this is how I lived my life. Um, these are the money coming in, money going out, and then in the off-season breaking down, because these guys are expected to eat and train and prepare like world-class athletes. And yet they're not paid in the off season. How's that? How does that work? There's definitely a conflict of interest there. It's it's extremely challenging because a lot of them either have to depend on parents, um, they have to depend on their significant other working multiple jobs. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them go the route of doing lessons because you know it doesn't pay great, but it's something, and they're still able to stay active in that profession. So it's it's extremely challenging for him, and a lot of them have had to get really creative during the off season. Real quick, well, if you maybe heard some growling in the background, we had the windows open to the backyard, and and the, we have uh, their small puppy dog is being chased by the large puppy dog. So it sounds like a dog fight here. Uh, there's not, you know, Michael Vick doesn't live. This is not <laughs> happening. It's uh, you know, a couple of dogs playing in the background. Um, so the windows have been closed, so, so now hopefully been they've closed. been muted. So it, it's definitely there's definitely a. a a disparity there. Um, and like you said, they're, they're chasing a dream and all of this, but these are people. And so, yeah, they're following, they're trying to be pursuing a career as a professional baseball player. But what about the guy that's been living paycheck to paycheck, barely scraping by, spends several years in the minors, and then finally age 27, 28, there's no job for him anymore. And, no skills. And there's no skills. There's no degree. There's no you know, no, no, nothing. And they've got to stop and figure it all out. And they've got nothing to, to it's it, so as, as a minor league podcast, I think we've, our heart kind of goes out for that. And one of the things that Donovan plans to do down the road is, after he retires is he and his wife want to become a host family. 
So my wife and I, we actually just joined the Booster Club for the Lake Elsinore Storm, and we attended our first event yesterday. And so we kind of got a glimpse, and we talked to some of the players, and and they're like, yeah, it's it's not what you think it is. You know, there's long bus rides and and shady hotels, and it's it's not a glamorous lifestyle. Absolutely, yeah, it's a very it's a very tedious lifestyle, and I think knowing that people are making efforts now more to get involved with host family programs is huge. Yeah. Um, and I applaud you guys for being involved in that because it's, it's such a huge need within the organizations. Um, so to present that type of a situation for the players, I know it's greatly appreciated. And so this last weekend we had Nick Margavichus, who's a friend of the podcast and was a guest of ours, um, made his major league debut and uh, I went over and talked to Nick's family, but also with Nick's family was his host family in Tri-Cities. And as much as I wanted to gush with Nick, Nick's dad and mom, I was more like I started talking to them more like, okay, what do you guys do? How's it go? What's going on? Can I get your guys' number? I'd love to talk to you about it because truly this is what we want to do. We want to go move to a small minor league city. Uh, I'm in the restaurant industry. I've cooked my whole life. And like I have all kinds of plans to learn different cuisines from Panama to Venezuelan to Dominican. Uh, I'm gonna learn how to fry a plantain. I, I don't, you know what I mean, and just be able to be able to be a part of that. And that also you get free baseball and free swag being in the minor league. So, um, it's it's really important. So one of the questions that I ask a lot of the players in our interviews is like, okay, did you work in the off season? And a lot of them say, yeah, yeah. I, you know, one player that was working for UPS. And got actually, he's like, I just got a promotion. Um, and so they're having to work just to make ends meet. And some of the other players are, you know, living with mom. Uh, young as they are, still, they're, you know, they're living at home, living hand to mouth, trying to just be this world class athlete with little or no support other than from family. Right. And it's, it's something that most of them are made aware of prior to signing, um, if you ask the different players, you know, hey, did you have awareness of this? Did you realize what you were walking into? Most of them have because either college teammates or high school teammates or whoever, they got that opportunity, and so they've passed along the information. But these guys are still going to take a chance because it's what they've worked for, you know, their whole life. It's what they've been dreaming and fighting for their whole life. So they understand the risks involved. They understand the struggles involved. But I don't think it's necessarily going to keep them from that if it's something they're wanting bad enough. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, before you sign this contract, it's going to suck in the minors. Like, they don't say, like, it's going to suck. Like, you're going to have lots of opportunity. I'm sure they word it where it's a lot more positive and more possible than, you know, like a 27th round guy is not going to sniff the major leagues, but they're still going to sign him and he still has that shot. And those guys still make the major leagues. Um, but I'm sure they word it in a much more positive light. So you tweeted something out a long time ago. Um, and I have it here in my, my notes that for the cost of a middle reliever, you could increase the pay for um, uh, for the minor league players across the board. Uh, do you remember that tweet? Um, vaguely. I want to say, if I remember correctly, I want to say what I read or figured out, it was about the cost of a fourth outfielder, I think was the, the original calculation. And it comes out to about nearly four and a half million per organization. Um, to give their farm system a raise. And so the fact that it, you know, seemingly is that little of an amount um, really sort of opens people's eyes. And especially considering, you know, Major League Baseball has already cranked out several billion dollars 
in new contracts and contract extensions between, you know, Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts, uh, Bryce Harper, all these guys, Mike Trout, obviously leading the pack. Um, and it's it's eye-opening, but it really comes down to how is the organization going to prioritize and how much are they willing to invest in these minor league players? You know, you can almost think that could be like an MLB tax. Like, you know, you put your 401k, you put your state tax, you put your like minor league assistance program because they have a major league assistance program, right? There, there would be something like that would be kind of cool to have. And it'd be a small amount, maybe, uh, I don't know, some kind of, they would figure out that that number, but it would be a part of your paycheck coming out because, you know, the major league, every major league came up to the minors and that'd be a form of giving back, maybe something like that. Or yeah, yeah, but the disconnect there is that the Major League Baseball Players Union doesn't represent the players in the minor league, right? And so it's like once they make it, then they're out to protect themselves, and they don't they they don't go out of their way to take care of those players that haven't gotten there yet. Hmm. At least that's the way it seems from my perspective. God, he just he just rained on my parade. <laughs> Emily, get him. Um. So this so so one other one other topic that came up recently. So apparently in Lake Elsinore, the weight room isn't very nice, and the batting cages are not looking very good. Uh, And so it's up to the local team to maintain those facilities. It's up to the major league team to provide the personnel. But then the local team they want to take their money and put that money into things that are going to increase revenue. And so batting cages don't increase revenue. Uh, new seats do a new, you know, a new playground. So it's there's another kind of a, a split where what you're saying about the major league team putting money aside, maybe there should be some kind of incentive to drive money for the support of the infrastructure in the minor leagues. Just a thought. So anyway, uh, oh, right. <laughs> the next topic on your list here. Well, um, my question is. So have you had any backlash from any of the organizations? I have not. Nope. Everybody has seemingly been very receptive of it. They've been very diplomatic about it. And I think it's because, you know, whether they're going to speak publicly about it, everybody agrees. Nobody believes that people should make poverty level wages. But unfortunately, not everybody has that say in how those strings are pulled and how those moves are made. And so I think across the board it is agreed upon, but I think it's the complexities of making those changes that's really held a lot of teams back in advancing and getting that taken care of. So we're a couple days away from the start of the minor league season. Have the Blue Jays actually gone through with that raise? I haven't seen her anything or hadn't read or anything or have seen anything about that. Um, The team confirmed to us that that was the plan for this season. Uh, We weren't given dates on when that would go into effect. Um, Generally, the first paycheck comes about two weeks into the regular season for most teams. Um, So based on what the teams told us, they did confirm to Ken Rosenthal and I that they are applying that this season. That's fantastic. So how how can the common fan help? What what can we do from... From just a fan's perspective, uh, help in this—I don't—I don't say struggle, but this in this uh, in this sea change that we're hoping to uh, happen in minor leagues. I'll just be supportive. Honestly, I think there's a predetermined criticism of when a guy puts on a uniform, thinking he's making millions of dollars, and that really isn't the case at the minor league level. So I would just say. You know, obviously Twitter is available for all of our opinions, whether people want to read them or not. 
And a lot of us, I think, jumped the gun with our frustrations in that really, I would just say, you know, and this is a large, large uh, thing to say, but think before you tweet. If you're tweeting at a minor league player, think before you tweet. Think before you tweet at any athletes. You know, think think before you share whatever you're feeling in the moment because they understand the challenge. They understand the risks involved and they don't need a second opinion. Otherwise, I'm sure they would ask you for it. Exactly. Well, and, and that's why here for, for what we do here at Fires on the Farm is we always try to keep it positive. Always try to treat the player and the organization with respect, be it from the major league level all the way down to the guy struggling in, in you know, in short season ball. It, it's a development. It's a growth. It's um, it, it's these guys trying to be better players, better people. And so we always try to at least keep it positive, uh, it, it, particularly on social media. Uh, I, I like to I like to like heckle a little bit at my game, you know, at, at the pro league uh, games. But uh, my wife doesn't like me to do that because it says it hurts her feelings. So I don't really heckle a lot. <laughs> Wait, Liddy has feelings? I didn't no, know like, this. You can't yell at Madison Bumgarner. I'm like, he doesn't care, but I feel better when I do that. <laughs> so do you have any thoughts about the companies that loan minor league players large sums of money with the promise of being paid back once they cash in their, their big league paychecks? Um, I can't say I'm super familiar with that side of it. Um, so unfortunately not a lot to share on that, but I have heard little bits of information, nothing too in depth though, unfortunately. I think Fernando Tatis did this. Yeah. Where- yeah. And there've been some lawsuits re- re- revolved. I think Francisco Mejia actually had a lawsuit against the company that had done that with him. Um, so anyway, um, so you mentioned that people have helped you along the way as you've grown as a writer in your career. And Lance Brozdowski is somebody that we've spoken to multiple times on our podcast. Um, he's told us that he sees you as a mentor. Uh, so are, are you starting to get to that point in your career where you can kind of give back and, and show those behind you the ropes? Can I just say shout out to Lance for being one of the coolest guys out there. He has absolutely worked his tail off. Um, he's somebody that, again, connected through that strange and wonderful world of Twitter, Twitter where, yeah. you know, you start to make some really interesting friendships and, um, Lance is somebody who he understands how to do things right. Um, he values character, he values integrity. Um, and that's a huge, huge thing in the business, um, to show people that you're genuine and, um, to show people what you're all about. And I think for me, you know, to be honest, I still feel like I'm figuring things out and I, I really hope that I never get past that. Because I think when you stay in that mindset, it pushes you to get better and it pushes you to want to grow more every day. And so anytime people ask for my advice or opinions on things, it's extremely humbling um, just because I still feel so new to everything. And so for me, it's really helping encourage people to find their voice and really learning that they don't have to listen to everyone. You know, I always tell people the best advice I got was one of my mentors told me, you need to learn what voices to turn up and what voices to tune out as you get further along in the business because you start to see what advice is going to move me forward and what advice is going to blow up in my face. Um, and that's a big, big lesson to learn early on. So Lance has done a lot of things about the Padres because like you, he's based in the Midwest League. He's hung out around the Fort Wayne Tin Caps and has focused on a couple of players uh, Gabe Moser, for example, who's kind of an unheralded guy that 
caught his eye. So he wrote this big article in Gaslamp Ball, which is a blog that I used to write for. And recently he's been writing, when he was out in spring training, he was picking up notes to write for somebody who's got a newsletter here, the Sac- the Sacrifice Bunt newsletter. Yeah. Um, and it's he he is working his tail off because he'll write for anybody and he's not charging a fee right now. I know he's still going through school. Yeah. But when he's done with that, he's going to get picked up somewhere and they're going to get a really talented, hardworking writer. Well, absolutely. He actually, real quick, Emily, he actually put out his resume for several uh, large uh, newspapers and MLB and got very little back. I think he's a stringer for AP. I think he writes a little bit for AP. But incredibly talented evaluator, incredibly talented writer. Um, and so what... Emily, what can you say to the to the girl that's thinking about you know that's writing for a blog? We have we have several blogs here in in Padre in, in the Padre's blogosphere with women that are writing just because they're fans, and you know some may have aspirations to become full time writers or even you know take it a little further than just a blog. Uh, what would you say to that writer that you know that is doubting themselves or don't think that they belong? Yeah, it's something I've and I've been approached by a lot of younger girls recently about this and. The thing that I've always told myself is I want to be known for my work. Um, I don't want to necessarily be known oh, as she's the girl who writes about baseball. I want to be a baseball writer. That's what I want to be known for. And I think there, again, society tells us that's not normal. If you're, if you're passionate about something, if you have a desire to chase, you know, a certain industry or be a part of a certain business, nobody can tell you not to. You know, you have to chase what you love to do. Whatever you wake up in the morning and say, this is what I'm excited about today, nobody gets to discourage you from that. And so having that opportunity to pursue this and just having to remind myself every day why I love it, why I'm doing it, that really keeps me going. So just asking yourself, why am I doing this? Once you realize that, you find your voice and you chase it no matter what people tell you. And I think that's where you get the most satisfaction. Yes. So are, do you want to do this full-time? Do you want to not work where you're working? And do you want to do this? Uh, do you want to be an evaluator? Do you want to be a full-time baseball writer? What's, uh, you, you know, I know you take it one day at a time, but what, what's, do you have any goals or aspirations? I, I think this is the point where we need to point out to our listeners that Emily actually has a full-time day job. Yeah. And all this amazing writing that she does is a side hustle. <laughs> Well, and actually part-time day job. Thankfully, I've been able to transition to part-time. Um, but yes, I still do work a day job. Um, my goal is either to stay in a full-time role or eventually work with an organization on the minor league side. Um, that's really what I've been pursuing. So obviously right now I love what I do. Um, would love to move more into that full-time role, though, to be able to give you know my followers more of this content on a full-time basis. And I can't say enough about the people who have supported and followed me on Twitter, especially. It's been, you know, just the most incredible support system um, and the fact that they've followed along and the amount of people, that always blows me away. I don't know about you guys, but if you if you sit back and look at the amount of followers you have and then picture that many people standing in front of you in a room, it's a little terrifying because you're like, that many people care about what I have to say. <laughs> Well, that's why I've been out of words talking in this interview because I'm like, uh, 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 uh. so what plans do you have for the upcoming season? Do you have any trips planned? Is there an agenda for you? 
I do. I've actually already booked out my first three months of the season. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm based out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I am within 10 to 12 minutes from the Tigers Class A affiliate, the West Michigan Whitecaps, um, who also happen to be within a little bit of a distance from Fort Wayne. Um, so I will have Fort Wayne coverage for all nice. the faithful. I will be Yay. making multiple trips to to see my guys in Fort Wayne and talk about um, some of the returning names and some of the new names. And um, I'll be doing Eastern League, International League, and Midwest League um, with the possibility of some Florida State League mixed in there too. So lots of stuff on the radar for sure. So you said International League. Are you going to do any independent ball, maybe read on, uh, maybe do some writing on some of the rule changes that are happening in MILB? I don't have any plans as of right now to. Um, I've learned to never say never. So it could be something that comes along further down the road, but still kind of mapping that out and seeing if that opportunity becomes available. And just to let you know that the California League out here, uh, it's nice and sunny. I mean, it's sunny and warm right now here. Uh, Luis Patino is out here. Um, I, I just on- met him yesterday. <laughs> You know, I'm going to say either you're about to send me a plane ticket or you're just being cruel. So I'm going to let you decide what direction you want to take on that. Well, if you can figure out a way to get out here, I know we can find some couches for you to crash on. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. 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 And I've actually I've spoken with a few people from um, the Padres front office who said that they appreciated the extended coverage. And they said, hey, if you can ever get out here. And I said, oh, trust me. I said, San Diego is very, very much on my list. But just a matter of finding the time and uh, obviously the the flights to uh, get over there and experience it. But it's definitely on my to-do list. Absolutely. So, hey, let's uh, we're going to get you out of here in a minute. But is there any is there any anyone, anything you want to plug? Anyone we should follow? Tell us what to do. Yeah, I would say, um, well, with my newest stuff, my notes from Arizona just went live today at the Athletic MLB. So if you have a subscription, um, you know, selfish plug, go subscribe. It's subscription costs about as much as a Starbucks. So go subscribe. You will absolutely, absolutely, you know, find it to be worth it. Go follow Dennis Lynn if you don't. And if you don't, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need to follow Dennis Lynn, who is an absolute rock star for Padres coverage. He covers the major league level like a pro, throws in minor league stories without missing a beat, and he is just an absolute pro. So, so much respect, so much love for Dennis. So I'll give a a little plug, a little teaser on your article that came out today. You've got a really nice write-up on Tirso Arnelas and also on Estrella Ruiz. So for uh, listeners that want to know a little bit more about those guys, they're both going to be in Lake Elsinore to start the season. Yes. Uh, but there's a really good write-up here of what Emily observed in spring training about those two gentlemen. Well, and the thing about Tierso, who that you know, I think that everybody should know, is he doesn't get smaller. I feel like he looks about a foot taller every time I see him. He walked by me in spring training in Peoria, and I went, you're not you're you're like a foot taller than last year and he already looks i call him zeus he already looks like basically a greek god because he's so tall and ripped and just everything but yes tierso is huge i think he's still 19 which i don't know where this crop of freakish you know tatis joe liddell tierso these freakish teenagers 
come from, but he's one of them. And so Padres fans, be thankful because you guys got a good one. God, he's got an 80 grade jaw. Like his jawline is just like he's like a he's a like a great. He's God, got he has braces. Yeah, he's a good looking guy. And so that jawline is huge. I got a funny little story. So we were Angela and I were walking around the back lots. And Tirso was behind the, the, the screen doing batting practice. Um, Tony Tarasco and Coach Hong were flipping balls and hitting the fungo out. So a couple guys at second base and this Mexican dance song came on. And next thing we know, Tirso's holding the bat like it's a guitar and he's dancing ding, around. Ding, 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 and, ding, and the guys ding, out ding, in ding. at second base are dancing around and the coaches are having some, some fun with it. <laughs> it was just one of those fun moments that you have to be at the right spot at the right time to capture. And that's my favorite thing, honestly, about the backfields is that you see these quirky little moments and situations that take place. And it's that's the fun. It's the fun area. You know, a lot of stuff can happen and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> my wife brought her phone over here. She's she's got the clip on a, the video clip up right here. <laughs> OK, well, let's do this. Let's get on to the lightning round. I know you, you you're suffering through a cold and then had a Midwest cold. Uh, uh, we'll get you the Latin round hot take, I call it, uh, and we'll get you out of here. Okay, so you ready? All righty, let's do it. All right, celebrity crush. Oh, geez. Um, I'm going to go with Denzel Washington. Nice. If you could have a walk-up song, what would it be? Um, I forget the name of it, and I am so embarrassed to say this, but it's kind of the rap song, the We Ready Rap song. I don't know if you guys know which one that is. It Whole kind of squad starts... ready. That one. Ready, ready. That one. Whole squad ready. No, I, I think you're making gosh, a song up on I'm the fly. I'm myself, but I, I can hear it in my head, so I'm so sorry. But Sing it's a few that, bars. <laughs> you know, I don't think y'all want to hear that, honestly. <laughs> okay. So but, uh, if you could interview one person in history, who would it be? Mickey Mantle. Wait, is that are you talking young Mickey Mantle or like mid to late career Mickey Mantle? Because there are two very different phases of, it, yes. of that man. I would go mid to late just because of all the stories he would have had at that point. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, well, I, we, okay. I'm not going to touch that one because Mick was very Mickey. Um, most uh, well, five guys are in and out. We actually had that discussion multiple times for some reason in Arizona. I think it's because of the fact that I get in and out so rarely because we don't have it over on my side of the country. And we couldn't ever come to a conclusion. I love in and out but five guys, I guess I would have to go with in and out price-wise. Five guys is stupid expensive. Yeah. In and out is not. And so I guess if you're talking practicality as well as taste – I would have to go in and out on that one, but Five Guys is close. They're they're just they're good. Fun fact: In and Out is owned by a woman. Oh, I did not know that. She inherited well. She inherited it from her father, but yeah, the it's a private company. She owns it. She has all the control of the company. Most embarrassing song in your library? I would have to go with probably anything by Florida Georgia Line. They're my, they're kind of my guilty pleasure road trip band because I'm on the road so much during the season. Yeah. So I've got to have good like road trip music and it's cheesy and just the most cliche country music you could ever listen to, but it's my summer jam. So uh, you heard it here first. I listen to Florida Georgia line. Uh, Coldplay is mine. 
<laughs> yeah, Coldplay's first couple albums are pretty good, and then see, I, see, it's I'm a guilty pleasure. A Coldplay fan. I'm actually a Coldplay fan. I legit like Coldplay. Florida Georgia Line is more of just like a guilty pleasure because it's got you know good flow to it. It's like that that summer tune that you can listen to, and so they're definitely on my road trip playlist. Maybe they're the new Kid Rock. Ah, oh, I can't stand that guy. Anyway, uh, what actress? Or the music. If you were, Sorry. if a movie were made of your life, or if you were a character in a movie, what actress would portray you? Oh gosh, um, somebody told me, and I've had a few people tell me this since that I look like Julia Roberts when I smile. Nice. But I don't, I don't personally see it. But I've had multiple people tell me that, so I guess it would go that route. But then I've also heard Amy Adams because of trouble with the curve. And so I think people just associate me with baseball and they're like, Oh, she was in baseball, like a baseball movie. And so you and her cause of baseball, which I don't see that as a physical correlation, but you know, what are you going to do? So I guess probably Julia Roberts. Okay. Okay. What year do the Padres make it to the world series? Oh, goodness i'm gonna say 2021 okay i can wait that long that's a hot take that's okay what year do the tigers that is the hottest take right there (laughs) what year did the tigers make it to the world series 2067 i kid i kid tigers twitter don't kill me if you listen to this i love you guys um i'm gonna say for detroit i think it's probably still gonna be about three four years um just because of the fact that they've got their core guys that are getting closer to detroit but then again you have to let them you know get their feet under them and adapt and all that stuff so Maybe I'm a bit jaded from being with the system for so long, but I'm going to say probably another three to four years. Okay. Now, this is going to – now, you were giving these questions well ahead of time. You had plenty of time to think about them. I think I sent them to you last night. Um, but think carefully. We're okay with what you say. I'm okay with whatever you say here. But who is your favorite follow on Padres Twitter? Dennis Lynn. Oh, oh, that's the easy. That's, that's the, the easy, easy out. way out. I totally went the easy route because something I tweeted out was: as long as I keep Padres Twitter on my good side, <laughs> I can sleep okay at night. You so can... I'm going political on this, and I'm not picking anybody but Dennis because none of you can disagree with me. Oh, that's true. No, he is. He is. Everyone here in Padreland love him. He was a, uh, you know, uh, him a DeCasavell. All, all the independent writers, you know. Um, are well respected and well loved. You know, Kevin AC, our local uh, paper writer here, has gotten a little bit of, you know, got a little bit of flack for just being overly optimistic uh, for some bad teams that we've had. Uh, he started last year, um, and he's gotten a lot better love since we've, you know, made some. Uh, we've got Manny Machado since we brought Tatis up. Since things seem to be going our way, um, that's. But that's really. Uh, he's also going to be a future friend of the podcast. He'll be coming on. Yeah, I, well, and I actually, I got the chance to meet AJ when I was in Peoria, which was really cool. AJ is like top notch. Yeah. AJ does great work. Yeah. Definitely worth a follow. And I mean, all of y'all, you guys are just the quirkiest, most lovable bunch of shirt making loyal <laughs> fans. And I just never, ever want to make you angry because I feel like, you know, you would show up at my doorstep and I don't want that to happen. So nah. try to keep y'all happy. 
It, now, it's cold in Grand Rapids. No, we don't, we don't have yeah, the cold. The cold would steer you away. <laughs> I, I don't think Padres Twitter quite has that kind of venom. Uh, but I wanted to say about Dennis Lynn that since he's gone from being a beat writer for the Union Tribune to writing for the Athletic, he's been able to spread his wings yeah. and do some amazing things. These these profile pieces that he's done on several of the Padres pitchers this spring have been fantastic. I love how he dives deep and talks to every single person in this in a player's story. And really fills in, you know, colors in the whole picture. He's done an amazing job. Yeah. He, Dennis is, and I, I was telling him this at spring training, he, he's so gifted with finding really unique perspectives on the organization. And he was actually one of the ones who helped me pronounce Nick Margavichus correctly because it was <laughs> a lot of Margat, Marge, Marge, maybe that sounds right. Um, but he actually helped me out with that. But he, top of the line, just so talented, so professional, um, and just really, really does such a great job with the organization. So if you follow him, you're getting a treat to have him covering that system because he does an exceptional job. Absolutely. And one more thing. It, it, really, the athletic is not just baseball. So I just, I'm a baseball guy. I don't follow any other sport. Another sport is really a sport in my, my eyes. So I really just have the athletic for baseball. But if you get an athletic uh, subscription, you get every major league sport and you get those in-depth interviews. You get those in-depth pieces. You get the pieces that can be more critical uh, of a team or take on a a topic as in minor league pay. I mean, like, you know, you would think that after writing that, you would be like persona non grata in organizations. And I think if that would be the case, I think there'd be a large groundswell of you know, backlash to the organizations by blacklisting you or keeping you away. Yeah, but, but Emily's just so dang nice that people can't get mad at her. Super nice. And, and, <laughs> and you've been really sweet to come on the podcast. I do want to bring up one thing I learned this weekend. So Eno Saris was here at the Padres opening weekend. And he... He's another one that you absolutely should be following. Eno is one of the most creative, fun, beer connoisseur, quirky... Just I, I love him so much, and I got to work with him a little bit during the fall league last year um, on a piece. I don't know if you were able to read or not, but he he is he's exceptional. So follow him too because he's great. You know, and you know who he reminds me of is the lead singer of Tears for Fears back in the day with those curly locks. <laughs> um, so what he said, what he's doing is he will be having a podcast for the Athletic. So if if you do subscribe to the Athletic, you will see on the left hand corner there in all the little tabs is podcasts. And I guess the athletic is now going to start having regional podcasts, starting with Eno Saris because he's he's really big in, in analytics, right? He can write really deep on uh, on the new on the new analytics. Yeah, he's part of their fantasy right. baseball coverage. Um, and the big the the bigger picture is to have those podcasts in every region. So, um, Miss Emily, you need to uh, start warming up your podcast chops. And uh, start thinking about the future, and perhaps uh, maybe having your own podcast in the future with uh, you know Podcast Detroit. All right, sorry, you with Athletic Detroit. <laughs> um, we actually we have a new major league beat writer for the Tigers, um, Cody. Who, for anybody who's listening, who is a Tigers fan, um, definitely follow him on Twitter. He started covering these on the major league side, but. Yeah, it's something where any opportunity I get to jump on and talk prospects or talk about, you know, different teams that I get to connect with throughout the year, I absolutely love it. So appreciate, you know, all the, the people supporting on Twitter. You know, obviously 
Padres Twitter adopting me the way that you guys have and so much of the love. You guys have been just incredible, and I'm so appreciative of that. Well, I know we got spent this time really getting to know who you are and, and the minor league issue, but next time we talk, and hopefully it'll be during the season, we are going to be talking prospects. Absolutely. Anytime you guys want, we'll, uh, we'll make it happen. Okay, well, thank you very much, Emily. Thank you. My pleasure, guys. Thanks again for having me. Emily is such a gracious, well-spoken person. So I, she, she's so she, she's really friendly. She's really nice. I, I don't have enough nice things to say about her. And she's so she's so smart, and she wants to take care of the people that helped her get to where she is, and pass it on to the people coming up behind her. She really gets it, you know. And we didn't even talk prospects. She's an evaluator. She knows baseball. She knows players. She knows that stuff. And we just, you know, for this interview, and it was just really wanting to get to know the the person behind the pen, if you want to say it like that. Yeah. Um, was cool enough and gracious enough to come on our on our podcast. And when we were out there in spring training, she was so cool. And you know, I, it was funny. And, and if you listen to this afterwards, like I was a little jealous because like Lance was. I'm like, Emily, how's it going? And Lance's like, yeah, we're going to go over here now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was almost jealous that he was taking up all this time. And I'm like, but that guy's a writer. I mean, you know, Lance is there to show her the ropes. I'm just a nobody. So, you know, I'm it, it just. Well, he's also there to learn from her because he's Absolutely. starting out. He's embarking on his career. Yeah. So she is somebody whose footsteps he can follow to a certain extent. Absolutely. And it goes to show you if you. If you do well and mean well and help others, that good things happen to you. Yeah, I love the karma. I love the karma aspect of it. Um, that was phenomenal. That yeah, it was, was. You know, as as simple it was as the interview, as easy as it was an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, no groundbreaking things were were said, but just having the conversation with her and and you know talking about the minor league pay and what that what that looks like. Um, was incredible. Yeah, so next time we talk to her, we'll be able to go into depth on some of the players she's seen in the Midwest League yeah. uh, with the Tin Caps and, and elsewhere. Um, and it sounds like she might have a chance to see some other, other leagues. I She didn't mention Texas, but she's going to do a fair amount of traveling this year. Yeah. Um, well, Gabe, we have gone, God, that's, this is going to be almost an hour and a half. Hopefully you can... Well, I still want to... I, I want to talk about what I experienced last night a little bit. I'm so sorry. This okay. is so cool, guys. So as I mentioned... Uh, Angela and I joined the Booster Club. While we were out in Peoria, uh, there was a gentleman that overheard us talking and he could tell that we knew who the players were and the, to a certain extent. So he was asking us about it and we wound up joining the Booster Club. Um, and it was surprisingly inexpensive to join and they support the players. So they do things that directly help the players with their day-to-day lives. They help the players. Um, they arrange uh, host families for the players. Um, they During games, they, they do what they call pass the hat. So a player does an extra- extraordinary thing. They'll pass a bucket up and down the rows. And yeah. everybody throws a couple bucks in there. And all that money goes straight to the player. The home run bucket. Yeah. And so we don't... As fans, we don't think about the struggle that the players are going through, and that's what they're there to support. Right, and we're they're there just to watch really good ball players maybe become major leaguers. And when it's truly a, a human interest story, it's the, these guys are struggling to make ends meet. Yeah, the home run basket. I, I every time someone hits a home run in the minor leagues, you see a little can going around. Those of you that have gone up to Lake Elson or have seen that, and that money goes directly to them. Tell them the story that. Um, that he told you in spring training. I found it really interesting about the home run money. 
So there was one player that um, he was a, a very good player that eventually made his way up to the pros. It was Kyle Blanks. And he had, so it was late in the season and he had another good game because he crushed it that year. And so they handed him an envelope and okay, here's your, your money for the game. Congratulations. You, you did good. And he went under his bed and he pulled up this whole stack of envelopes and they're all, oh, what's, what's all that? Well, this is all the money that I've been saving up all summer. I'm going to buy my mom a car. And I know we think about, okay, these guys sign these contracts and they're going to buy their their mom a Bentley or a Mercedes. Right. No, this was like a few thousand dollars that he'd collected. And and so you know, mom needed a car. What kind of car can you really buy for four or $5,000? But you being able to do something for his mom, you know, that, that shows you both what it means to this kid to be able to give back and also the where he comes from and what kind of means they have as they go through their their minor league season. Right, and he was a, you know, and most of us make fun of Kyle Blanks because he was just a giant human being that would hit baseballs incredibly hard, but he was a flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. So even back then as a minor leaguer, taking what he can. And here's another thing about the Latin, a lot of Latin players, a lot of those guys send what any kind of money back. Yeah, they send it home. You know, back to their home. So they're they're surviving on even less money. Yes. Than uh, you know, than the guys here in the States. Um that's it's so critical that that gets done. I really yeah. hope that gets done. Um So last night they had their welcome dinner. And so it was really neat. Um the, it was all the Booster Club members. The person, there was an MC that I think is the play-by-play radio guy because he knew a lot about the history of Lake Elsinore Storm. And they had all the players there. And so they introduced the players by their position group and they went down the row. What's your name? Where are you from? What position do you play? Who's your favorite player growing up? Uh, did you get to go on any trips? Anything like that? Uh, and there was a raffle. Uh, but to to... And we had a chance to just chit chat with the people, uh, but we were sitting at a table with a host family. And last year, so they were the only Spanish-speaking host family. So last year they had Alan Cordoba, and so we were talking about his struggles going through last year with the concussion. Yeah, he was injured. Yeah, and then, um, and here's my lack of prep. I'm trying to remember the name of the man that they had before that because they said who they had the year before, and he actually got traded to the Reds yesterday. Uh, and what's his name? Diomar Lopez. So he mentioned Diomar Lopez. I'm like, wait, I just read that name like an hour ago. And so while I was talking to him, his wife walks up and she's looking at her phone and she's got texts from Diomar saying, I just got traded. Right. And so then we had a conversation because Angela's dad, Sal was there. And so I was explaining to him that these guys come from a different country and all that they've, the only people that they've known in the U S are the people that are surrounding them in this organization. And so now you get traded and it's like your whole family is gone. You need Uprooted. to go find a whole different yeah. culture, a different family. And it's, I, I can, I can, I can't even imagine how dramatic that shift must be for somebody, but the host families become close with the player and it's a relationship that continues beyond that year or two, or even part of a year that yeah. that player stays with them, yeah. that they remain in touch and they continue on that journey. So you were talking about Nick Margavichis, yeah. that his host family came down and watched his debut. From Tri-City. How cool is that? Absolutely how cool oh, is that? Oh, who's the host family from Tri-Cities? From Tri-Cities. Oh, I didn't pick up that part of it. Okay, very cool. Yes. So these guys, 
some of these guys were wearing black t-shirts with the storm booster club logo on the front and on the back. It had names and years going down the back. And those were all the players that they had hosted in the past. It was really cool. I cannot wait to do this. And the whole time I was sitting there going, Oh my God, Donovan would have been a kid in a candy store right now. And here, and here's here. Here's an underlying story about wanting to be a host family. Living in California is incredibly expensive. Um, and I could, like I could stay here, uh, if I worked till I was 60, 65, uh, and create a f- absolutely full pension from, from where I work. and But my wife is a little bit older than I am. I'm not going to say how old, but she's, she's a little bit older than I am. So if I wait that longer, then it's going to be just that longer than that we had to not be together and hang out and get free baseball. But it's to live in a small town with a lot less debt. If we're going to do that, why don't we be able to help a guy like that? Mm-hmm. You know, several players. I think they make you take at least two players um, and be a part of their journey while we're just being a part of our journey, you know. And everybody I talked to spoke about how respectful the players were. Um, and they, they would open up, You please go to town on the fridge. And yeah. if you cook, yeah. just leave your pans out, put them by the sink. Don't worry about it. We'll clean them. And so Alan Cordoba, he wouldn't take the food out of the fridge. He always went and bought his own food. And he would cook, but he always washed his own dishes. And even though they would encourage him, please, he he wouldn't. It was He was too respectful of, of their space. He, he was appreciative of what they were doing for him. Yeah. And I heard that from so many different host families. Yeah, a lot of those kids don't grow up like us grow up here. We make a bologna sandwich and leave the you know the mayo out and the plate dirty and you know all the crap is just laying out. How, yeah. As an adult, I do that. Yeah, and then thinking that these guys are taking what small income they have and sending them to a third world country yeah. because they come from absolute poverty that yeah. we don't, as Americans, we don't grow up seeing that kind of poverty. Yeah. It's a whole different world. So they're able to impact change on their family with money that's well below poverty level here. Yeah. And so the Booster Club does things to just just to help these kids get by and have a good experience. So you piqued my interest in this. And uh, as you texted me last night, as I watched the pause get just beat down, um, it makes me want to do this. It makes me want to be more involved with Lake Gusnell because they are our local affiliate. Mm-hmm. Um Thanks, guys, for sticking with us for so long. This is a very long episode. I do have a little bit of breaking news. I have more breaking news on top of your breaking news. Because they told us that Tom Cosgrove is going to be op- uh, starting the season opener for the Lake Elsinore Storm. They start on the road. The starter for the home opener on April 11th will be <laughs> Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore, friend of the podcast, Mackenzie Gore. So get your tickets now, Mackenzie Gore, April 11th. We will see you all there. Okay, so this is a real kick, and we'll just finish up here. This is the last podcast we're going to have before the season starts this Thursday. Yes. So we, uh, by the time we do this again, we'll be already into the season. So this next season, um, we have a ton of interviews lined up on top of just our every run-of-the-mill affiliate rundown. Uh-huh. But I, I've reached out to Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline. He's agreed to come on the podcast. Dennis Lynn, uh, we met in spring training. He's agreed to come on the podcast. We might do a live pod with him again at Smith. Uh, again at L. Smith again. So Time we, timing permitting, we've got timing, to make that happen because he's a busy man. He has agreed to do it, and he even suggested yep. sometime when he can do it. Um, we met William Bohr from MLB Pipeline. Uh, he covers all the all, all the uh, Phoenix, all the complex ball, all the rookie league of, uh, rookie league uh, in Phoenix. So we have him coming on on top of Lance, on top of um, you know if we grab a player here and there. Um, 
a friend of mine just recently that was an umpire in our baseball league um, is now a umpire in the Northwest League. Went to um, went to umpire school twice, I think. Um, I had been talking to him today. I sent him the questions. He's sending his questions to the director. I'm probably going to interview him within the next few days. So the next podcast just might be me talking to Andrew okay. about what is it to be a minor league umpire. And truly the struggle with being in a minor league umpire. So we got that coming up. Uh, we want to thank you guys. I want to thank. We didn't you even guys. talk about Javi Guerra. Oh no, Javi Guerra's gonna be a pitcher. <laughs> Apparently, those 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, all the podcasts I think went over, except for the Kept Faiths one that for their for their first day meetup, uh, they had to chop up a lot of that. But all the other podcasts went over. We went over a lot. We appreciate you guys listening to us. Um, me drone on and Roy's knowledgeable and even tone voice. Um, Thank you, guys. You can reach me on Twitter, SD Donovan. I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Till then, go Padres. Go Padres.